innovative often duplicated when enough people get on the trend i elevate it make it way harder for them to follow what i take it hard to swallow like a lozenger lodged in your trachea goodness gracious bruh i can never make this up so just take your stuff rake it up and take the bus never fake the funk you painted skunks you played enough i'm lifting bars to outer space so the weight is up Fight. Welcome to another episode of Dirty White Belt Radio, everyone. It is the day after Toro Cup. Toro Cup 9 was the biggest and best yet, with 25 action-packed matches. We're going to have a full recap for you, and we have a great show. I'm really excited to welcome to the studio my friend Wes Claytor from Gracie Raleigh. He and I have competed in the past. We have a lot of fun. We share some common interests. And Wes also has a really exciting upcoming project to share with you, including his work with Tap Cancer Out. So I'm excited to talk to him about that. But first, I need to tell you how to get a hold of us and give you a quick update on where we're at with Toro Cup. So uh, if, you, if you're ever interested in uh, hearing something on the show, if you, ever, if you ever have a guest suggestion, something you want to hear more of and we want to hear less of, please email me at jeff at dirtywhitebelt.com. You can also get at us on Facebook at facebook.com slash cagesideradio. We're being more active on our YouTube channel now that we have a YouTube unique URL at youtube.com slash dirtywhitebelt, and we'll be posting all the videos from Toro Cup there. We have four or five videos up now, but thanks to Andrew Faraday from Remington Place Productions and Elevate MMA, we're going to have high-quality video with commentary by me, uh, C.J. Murdoch, David Porter, Lourdes Cantu, Chelsea Kurtzman, Caitlin Huggins, a number of different guest commentators. Jake Whitfield, Greg Walker did some commentary for us. We're going to have those posted in a couple weeks. Uh, the reason it's going to be a couple weeks is I'm leaving for Ireland in about 20 hours. Very excited to have that vacation and with a little luck going to get to interview Darug O'Connell from East Coast BJJ and some other members of the Irish BJJ scene. So that's the good news. The bad news is we're probably not going to get the full Toro Cup videos up until the first week of May. So please be patient for that. Speaking of Toro Cup, let's talk about that for a second. We're going to get to our featured interview with our guest in a minute, but first, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about Toro Cup. Yesterday was Toro Cup 9. I can't wait to see what the 10th iteration is going to be like, because these just keep getting better. This was the most matches they've ever had at Toro Cup. There were 25 matches, and by and large, those matches were all really exciting and competitive. There were a few shorter matches, but a lot of the matches went uh, the distance, a lot of the matches were back and forth, and everybody that I talked to, and we'll hear a voicemail from one of these people in a second, everybody that I talked to had a different favorite match, which I think speaks really well. A few takeaways. The main event, uh, uh, in the main event, you had two contests that couldn't be more different. Uh, they've started giving out title belts for the Toro Cup. And for the Nogi title belt, Andrew Bittner was able to finish his match very quickly against Andrew Stewart from uh, Silverback Academy. Bittner uh, grabbed a Kimura, used it to take the back, and finished the rear naked choke in less than a minute. And so just a superlative performance by Andrew Bittner to cement what a beast that guy is. Um, the other match, far from being a short match, was a spectacular back-and-forth struggle that lasted until sudden death overtime, which, as you know, is uh, scored... Uh, the, the first person to score wins. And so Josh Murdoch took on Daniel Frank. And these guys have had a bunch of matches, and they're all very entertaining. Two really technical guys, two really tough guys. And this was back and forth and could have gone either way. Josh was on top for most of the match. And by on top, I don't mean in the top position. I mean that he was, he was ahead for most of the match. In the points round, Josh ends up going up two points to nil and maintains that advantage until 
with 30 seconds left, Daniel Frank manages a sweep to come up and tie the score and force sudden death overtime. Daniel Frank uh, guts it out in sudden death overtime, ends up sweeping uh, to get the win. And th- I mean, it's just one of the best matches I've seen in a long time. Uh, just two incredible performances by two really amazing athletes that I have the utmost respect for. That match is up on our YouTube channel uh, at uh, youtube.com slash dirtywhitebelt if you want to check it out. We also posted that on our blog at dirtywhitebelt.com. I, I really can't say enough about the intestinal fortitude and technique both guys showed. And yet, and yet that wasn't my favorite match of the day. Uh, my favorite match of the day, and again, everybody I talked to had a different favorite match, was Amber Ag against Summer Carpenter. Going into this, you know, I trained with Amber, and I want to give a shout out to all my Triangle Jiu-Jitsu teammates who went 3-0 and on the day, uh, which was super, uh, I was really impressed, but not surprised, just because I see those guys, Tung Vu, Andre Alexandrov, and Amber Ag, and see how hard they train. Um, so not surprised, but very pleased. Um, but Amber, I knew how tough she was. And we'd seen Summer Carpenter put on really good performances at Toro Cup before, uh, beating Nora from upstream, and has done very well in tournaments. But sometimes we forget that Summer, as talented as she is, hasn't been doing jiu-jitsu all that long. And I told her coach, Jason Beber, and Summer herself after this match, I was so impressed by Summer's performance in this match. Just to see the growth in her jiu-jitsu and the hard training that she's put in at Phoenix Jiu-Jitsu really has paid off. Um, you know, because she was talented enough to beat a game opponent in Nora last time around, but her jiu-jitsu has just continued to increase, to grow on a, at a linear level, and it was really impressive to see. And so she and Amber put on a barn burner of a match where we got to see both of them work on top, both of them work on bottom, both of them were in bad spots. It looked like Amber had Summer caught in an armbar uh, in the submission-only round, and Summer was able to throw her leg over and escape. Summer gets on top, ends up working her game, and in the in the points round, you know Amber was or Amber was working to pass, and these would have been the first points of the match. And Amber had passed in the in the uh, in the submission only round, but of course points don't count then. And so Amber passes, but as she does, Summer catches her in a reverse triangle. And it was one of those moments where you're like, if, this is the match right here. You know, if if Summer can finish this, obviously the match ends. But if Amber passes now suddenly Amber has escaped this, this, you know, this innovative attack. And that is what wound up happening. Amber does end up escaping the reverse triangle after being stuck in it for, I think, like three minutes um, and ends up winning on points in overtime. But I have nothing but good things to say about the performance of both women. Obviously, congratulations to Amber for winning, but I think Summer deserves congratulations as well, just in terms of the performance that she put on. And it's been really exciting to see her uh, her continue to improve, and I can't wait to see the things she does in the future. I'm, see we, I'm sure we will see both Amber and Summer back on Toro Cup in the future. And if you do want to see that match, and, I, and again, it's my favorite match of the day, very exciting match. Uh, it's up on our YouTube channel right now at Dirty White Belt or at YouTube.com slash Dirty White Belt. You can also see it on, on our blog where I posted all the results at DirtyWhiteBelt.com. So I do mention that there wasn't everybody's favorite match of the day because when I asked people, um, everybody had a different answer. I asked everybody to send us voicemails, and we got one great voicemail that I'm going to play for you right now. Hey, Dirty White Belt. This is Sammy Seth. Um, I was calling to give my views on Toro Cup. Um, I definitely agree. I think Daniel Franks and Josh Murdoch's match was uh probably one of the best I've seen in person. It was so incredibly technical. Anybody who trains jujitsu and is a fan of jujitsu would probably agree with me on that one. Um, Josh Murdoch has gotten incredibly good in such a short amount of time. I've seen such an improvement in him. And the warm guard between the two was amazing. The tenacity, um, 
I definitely look forward to a rematch between the two. I would say I also really enjoyed a Jake Whitfield's match. You don't get to see a lot of no-gi with the black belt in Toro Cup lately, uh, and I was very impressed with how agile uh, both competitors were moving and the inversion techniques. Uh, Matt Messer always really impresses me uh, with his foot sweeps and just how quick and mobile he is and his ability to adapt in any situation. Um, and then I would also say that my other favorite matches were between Rubo Karaoke's three black belts, Stafford Hamilton, uh, Sean Burton, and John Shell. I'm sure I'm a little biased when it comes to all three, uh, especially the last bearded one. Uh, but all three did get submissions pretty early on in their match, and I was super proud uh, that they were able to show out for their professor. And overall, it was an excellent event for a great cause that I was happy to be a part of. There's also a terrific thread on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash cagesideradio, where people recount their favorite matches of the day. And really, most of the matches were really good. I also thought Jaron Hampton against Kenny Romero was a terrific Nogi match. Uh, Jaron is incredibly impressive, and he's going to go up against Dewan Owens at the next Toro Cup in a match that promises to be as exciting and entertaining as it possibly can be. There were tons of matches, so we can't possibly get to them all. A couple other things that I want to shout out. Um, Evolution uh, did great at this event. Sean Burton with an impressive heel hook finish. Stafford Hamilton has been on fire with a great performance uh, against uh, in, in, in Gibson Saw's Spartan Invitational Tournament and now defeats Nicholas Walters, a tough black belt via Kimura here, so Stafford is on fire. I also want to shout out all the Team Hubao karaoke guys, especially John Shell, who beat Philip Wyman by uh, by. Uh, by armbar about three minutes in and you know a great win against a tough hibero jiu-jitsu opponent and i know that felt good for john not just to get the win but to get the win in front of hubao karaoke in front of his professor so uh you know and again shout out to hubao uh it was great to see him there he's looking good i hope his health continues to improve and it was great to be able to raise some money for a good cause so in, in retrospect what an amazing toro cup i was I'm always grateful to be a part of it and I'm grateful to everybody who showed up I think I counted about 500 people in and out of there I'll have to get back with the Toro BJJ people for the official number but I think about 500 people attended which would make it the biggest Toro Cup yet in terms of matches in terms of schools that attended and in terms of just pure entertainment value so can't wait for Toro Cup 10 and I hope to see y'all there Our featured interview today is brought to you by Toro Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Company. Toro BJJ produces the highest quality gis, rash guards, and grappling supplies for every Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu practitioner. You can check them out online at torobjj.com. Our thanks to Toro Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for making our featured interview possible. So let's get to it. Uh, I want to save the bulk of the time to talk to Wes, because uh, Wes Claytor has become a core part of our scene in just a couple of years. I want to talk to him about his jiu-jitsu history, how he got started training. I'm going to talk to him about training with Gracie Raleigh, with the killers in that room, Brandon Garner, Bumpkin, Andrew Bittner, Evan Arredondo, two guys who competed on Toro Cup yesterday and put on outstanding performances in their matches, so we might get into that during the course of the interview. But now I want to welcome uh, Gracie Raleigh Brown Belt, Wes Claytor, to the studio. Thanks for coming in, Wes. Awesome. Yeah, man. I'm really excited that you were able to make the trip. So let's for those of you, you know, a lot of our listeners are going to be familiar with you either from competing at U.S. Grappling, the matches that you had at Toro Cup, including one really memorable match against Kyle Trujillo, which is one of my favorite Toro Cup matches in history, or maybe from our, our podcast event, the Concussion Cast Carnival, where you competed against Josh Murdoch. But I guess in your own words, maybe you could tell folks how you started training and how you came to be here in North Carolina. Sure, sure. Yeah, so um, <clears throat> I guess to take it back with how I started, um, 
started it it must have been about coming up on 11 years now um i was a freshman at community college at raritan valley community college in uh branchburg new jersey and they had a little um like a grappling slash fight club that they had going on there and uh, my buddy Dylan was telling me about it because he was a couple years ahead of me. He had already been at that community college. But he's letting me know about it because I was getting ready to enroll. Yeah, come check us out, man. We meet on such and such date. So I went there. It was about six guys with, you know, tap-out gear and, you know, combat sports pads and this, that, and the other thing. And they were literally just beating the crap out of each other in a little back room in the community college. Um, so, you know, I, I went once. You know, got got my butt handed to me, and then, uh, you know, I came back the next week, and from there, you know, I learned very rudimentary jujitsu. You know, how to how to retain a guard, how to throw a sloppy arm bar, um, but I knew right away that it was something I was interested in. You know, I uh, you know I definitely wasn't on the straight and narrow as a youth. I, I I got into a lot of trouble when I was younger, and you know I was always looking for some type of an outlet for my energy, and I I, I thought that this might have been it. So, you know, about a year or so of doing that club and, and starting to, you know, learn a little bit about at least mental toughness and, you know, how to recover from beating the crap out of each other. You know, I, I knew I wanted more. And then um, that's when my friend Dylan, who showed me the club, let me know that we had a Gracie uh, Jiu-Jitsu um, Academy that was opening up in our neck of the woods. And long story short, turned out that it was David Adiv, who's first black belt under Julio Gracie. Um, he, I guess, used to operate out of one of the YMCA's that we didn't really know about, but he was opening up his first actual academy um, only about 10 miles from where I lived. So we went and checked it out, and, you know, I enrolled that week. And then, you know, the rest is really history from there, but, you know, I, I trained under David Adiv, and, and that must have been for a good seven years or so, all the way up through Purple Belt. And then, um, you know, Came down to North Carolina. Me and my wife decided to make the move down here about four years ago. And before I came down, I started, you know, researching the different academies around here. And I, I got to, I, I guess it's worth mentioning, but the, the scene down here, and I think a lot of it is thanks to you and some of the other people in this community, but the scene down here is completely different from anything I've ever experienced. But um, up in the Northeast, everyone's very much reserved to their own academies, and, and that's totally cool. But, you know, open mats, same people that you see every week at, at normal class, um, but not a lot of cross-training and things of that nature. And, you know, I was expecting to be kind of refined to one academy when I was looking into researching where I'd train when I came down here. And I guess just by a namesake, Gracie Raleigh was the first one to pop up when I was searching Gracie Jiu-Jitsu in Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, so I, I checked out the website, and I said, I'll go, I'll go check that place out once I get down there. So we moved down, and um, within a week, I went down there, and I met with Brandon, and I, I tried out my first class there. And, uh, you know, I, I, I thought I was going to come down from the Northeast training with all these people out and and competing against these people in you know the the greater New York area and doing the IBJJFs when I was a blue belt, I thought I was going to come down here and be the, the the Billy Badass in the purple belt rank, right? <laughs> and uh, I walked in there and Justin Sellers, I don't know if you're familiar with oh, him. Oh yeah, I trained with Justin a bunch. Right? Yeah, Justin Sellers just proceeded to wipe the mats with me, and uh, I went home that night and I was like, well, I guess that's where I'm going to train. 
you know, I, I needed somebody to, to, to continuously push me, and I found that the quality of the purple belts in that academy were either at or above my level, and that, I think that's what we want as, as jiu-jitsu uh, players or, you know, competitors. So, yeah, started coming back to Gracie Raleigh, and I've, I've been there ever since, and I, I can't say I regretted any decision that I made along the journey. We'll talk to you about training in that room with the dapper bunch of killers more as the interview progresses because I definitely <laughs> want to talk about uh, dapper. <laughs> the, yeah, right. Well, some of them are dapper, mm. like Bumpkin's dapper. Yeah, looter. Looter. <laughs> oh, looter's definitely dapper. Was the was definitely definitely rocking the the fresh undercut at the at the Toro Cup. So, Wes, what's your favorite thing about U.S. grappling? So, I think my favorite thing about U.S. grappling is the fact that. Um, you get a really good local turnout and it's not just local from a state level i mean from from a school level you 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 look around and you see so many familiar faces of people that either are from your academy or people that you've trained with at open mats around here one of the great things about the, the greater triangle jiu-jitsu community um, but yeah, yeah, the, the school turnout is something that should be celebrated because, you know, traditionally speaking, or at least from my experience up in the Northeast, you know, you get one, two, maybe five people from a school that'll go out and do a Naga or go out and do, you know, Grapplers Quest or something like that, or even the uh, IBJJF events. Um, but U.S. Grappling, I mean, I can't tell you how many times we've had, you know, just from our school, Gracie Raleigh alone, where you get 15 competitors between kids and adults, and then you get another 10 people that just come out to support it. So you're going out there with a real entourage, and you know, not not to go out there and pump your chest up and talk about how big and bad our school is, but just that support aspect that I, I, don't, I don't know if you get that across the globe. But it's something that I think is special about our community here. It's certainly something I've noticed at U.S. Grappling, too. And there are lots of opportunities to compete coming up in Richmond and in Greensboro. So register online at usgrappling.com. But yeah, I do want to talk to you about about training about Gracie uh, training at Gracie Raleigh. And actually, why don't we just dive right in? We'll yeah. talk about tap cancer out right after this. Yeah. So what's it like uh, learning from Brandon Garner, learning from Bumpkin, and uh, you know, I, let's talk about those two guys as instructors, and absolutely. then we can get in, and we can get into your training partners in a bit. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I, I think it's no secret if if you met Brandon Garner and you met Bumpkin, you would say that they're not the same person. You know, definitely uh, they could be <laughs> seen as polar opposites as, as far as you know, how they interact, how they carry themselves, but, you know, both of them, you know, salt of the earth, great guys, and, and they both have something different to offer at each class, which is awesome, you know, having variety and having multiple teachers is great, um, but, you know, Bumpkin's got, you know, he's, I think he's got his PhD at this point, if not, you know, he's almost there, so, you know, he's no slouch to um, teaching to lectures, you know, he's got the experience there, and, and it translates into the academy. Um, you know, he's very concise, very smart as to how he approaches teaching to different learning styles. And, um, you know, same thing with Brandon, you know, Brandon's very straightforward, but he, he doesn't cut corners in, in his teachings. And I, I think you're seeing that with a lot of our competitors out there, you know, as you alluded to before with Bittner and with Evan and some of these other guys, I mean, they're they're progressing tremendously and I think it's because they're paying attention and, and they're not BSing their training. They're in there and we've got, we've got a good team there. You know, it's, it's a lot of younger guys and, and girls, but, um, it, it's cool to be so close to, you know, like NC state and have a lot of these people that are, that are younger and they've got that competitor's fire. They've got that hunger to compete 
because it it only elevates the uh, the quality and the uh, the energy in the academy. So yeah, yeah, great instructors there and a solid team that you know continues to motivate me every day. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned a bunch of very successful competitors there. Two of them, you know, Evan Arredondo, uh, a very impressive performance at Toro Cup against Jason Beber, ends up winning that match by armbar from the back. Um, uh, Andrew Bittner, when you know, take, takes the back of Iaxmora yeah. <laughs> and chokes in under a minute. Yeah, Andrew Bittner uh, rolls like a man who is late for lunch. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, he doesn't have long matches. No, and and it's funny because you would think that his approach would be like to come out like a Tasmanian devil and just go for it, but he's very, very much open to seeing what you're going to give to him, and then he just like a python, you know, <laughs> he just attacks, and it, yeah, like you said, it's it's never a, a long duration. Yeah, he's he's got a very cerebral approach from for jiu-jitsu, which is another thing that I think Bumpkin brings to the table as well, yeah. as you mentioned. You know, and then you have guys like like Chris Luter, guys like Daniel Branch. You mm-hmm. have you know some of the mainstays of the Gracie Raleigh scene there. Who would you say like uh, you know who are some of the best training partners together? Not necessarily even the toughest people, but the people that you feel like make the people in the room around them better. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say it's it's the two that we already touched on. I would say it's it's Andrew and it's Evan, um, both for different reasons. You know, Evan. Evan is not a slouch. He he, and just like Brandon, Evan doesn't cut corners. And I think Evan's taking a lot of of his uh, his philosophy to his training um, from what he's learning from Brandon and what he's seen uh, ahead of him. And you know, he's got the wrestler's mentality too. You know, he he's got a good wrestling base, but he's taken that mentality of you know not quitting and not cutting corners, and he's applied it to his training. And he's he's positive too. And that's, that's a big thing. You know, you could be the best training. You could be the strongest guy in the gym. You could have the most technique. You could go out and crush people in competitions, but what are you, what are you doing inside and outside of the Academy that helps to elevate your, your team members and your, your overall community? Um, and I, I think Evan's got that. And so does Bittner, you know, they, they're always helpful. They're always looking to help progress their team members, but they also carry themselves with, you know, a professional attitude and, and a positive attitude. And I think it's contagious. You know, um, I, I had a, a couple months where I had a layoff from training and it was because, you know, negative factors in my life were getting in the way. And I know that, you know, Evan and Andrew both made an attempt to, you know, be positive with me and encourage me to come back in rather than, you know, berate me for not being there, which is a, its approach that works for some people. But I have to thank them because they helped get my mind back into what I love about jiu-jitsu. And that's, at the end of the day, it's the, the positive community that we have here. Yeah, that's certainly something that resonates with me. And, you know, I feel like most people react better to positivity and that type of positive energy. You hear all these old school stories about, like, if you didn't uh, show up at Half Gracie's Academy, Half would show up at your house and drag you out of bed and take you to training. Yeah, some, and, sometimes we need that. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Jiu-Jitsu, where we love the people who kick our butts. Yep. Uh, but, yeah, you, you, so you mentioned people that uh, are doing positive things to elevate the community. You're involved in another effort to do that in a Jiu-Jitsu nonprofit yep. called Tap Cancer Out. I know a lot of the listeners are familiar with Tap Cancer Out, but some uh, who aren't. So maybe you could explain to us a little bit about what the organization is and how you got involved. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess I'll start with a quick backstory as to how I uh, found Tap Cancer Out and, um, you know, grew to love the organization and and support it so much today. Um, I don't work for Tap Cancer Out. I'm not an employee or anything like that. But I I know John, um, John Thomas, who's the founder of Tap Cancer Out. uh, I know him fairly well. And I respect the hell out of them, and um, you know I, I want to do whatever I can to help 
bring awareness to tap cancer out and help it grow more than it already has um, because I think it gives back tremendously and, and it's a really positive um, event to be a part of. So with that being said, um, you know, I lost my brother back in 2008 to liver cancer and, um, you know, it was obviously a hard thing to go through. Um, so after the grieving process of being angry and so on and so forth, um, I wanted to find a way to honor him and give back at the same time. And, you know, I thought about starting my own charities or my own nonprofit to try to raise funds and then, you know, looking at the ins and outs of it and seeing how much work would go into it and how much I'd realistically be able to raise for it. I thought it might not be the right approach. So maybe I should find something to, you know, tag along with or, or jump on that that has, you know, some awareness to it already and then put all of my efforts into trying to drive additional awareness and, and fundraising to that. And and that led me to tap cancer out. So um, it must, I think it was probably 2013 when I did my first event with them. But the, the, the real cool thing about tap cancer out is it's, it's just like any other well-run, organized uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu tournament. Um, you know, they, they really, they don't cut corners. They approach it with the mentality of trying to run the best uh, event that they can. And I'd say that they are, they're succeeding. Um, you know, it's not a haphazard and, and disorganized event by any stretch of the imagination. But the other cool thing about it is that you can register with um, a fundraising objective to uh, bypass having to pay for registration. So you can either register and pay and just like any other tournament, or you can set a base goal of uh, $250 to fundraise, at which point if you reach that goal, your registration's free. And then from there on and so forth, if you raise, I'm not sure about the dollar amounts, but there's tiered amounts after that initial goal to get the free registration. Um, after you hit certain tier levels, you get free gear, things of that nature. I actually got a free uh, inverted gear slash tap cancer out collab gi at one of the events because I raised so much money in one of those. Um, but yeah, so that's another cool thing about it is that it really emphasizes the fundraising aspect to it. Um, with that being said, um, I got a couple of notes here just to stay on task. But they, they've they've hosted 19 tournaments since 2012, and, and most of the cities include, um, I think, uh, the greater Connecticut area, Massachusetts. They've gone to San Diego. They've done Buffalo, New York, and then they've done Philly. And in 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 those short amount of years, they've already donated over nine hundred thousand wow. dollars to uh, multiple events or multiple charities and organizations. Each year, they they pick a different organization or charity to uh, devote their funds to. And um, this year, and, and this this goal for um, the event in September and the the greater tour, which I'll speak to in just a minute, is all going to uh, Alex's lemonade stand. So for childhood cancer, which is you know awesome. Awesome charity, uh, but John's got a lofty goal, man. <laughs> He's, uh, yeah, you were telling me off the air that yeah. they're going to do something like eight different events in seven weeks. Yeah, or so so what they're doing, and and this is this is awesome, man. It's called the Grappling for Good Tour, and I guess the goal is that they're going to hit seven cities in eight weeks. And they're, they're cities that aren't traditional cities that they've already hosted events in. They're going to be different, smaller hotbeds of jiu-jitsu where there's obviously been interest and in people speaking to, you know, tap cancer out and saying, we want you here. So I, I don't know how John's going to do it, but uh, he's going to work some magic, I think. And uh, I think this is going to be an awesome tour that they're doing. But it's kicking off in Raleigh. 
uh, on September 8th at the Dorton Arena um, on the NC State Fairgrounds. And uh, I believe uh, we're going to have registration open up in July. So it's definitely something to keep an eye out for. Um, you know, some of their bigger events, they've had over 600 competitors in. We'll share that event when it starts out, when, when registration opens in July, just, awesome. so the, just so the listeners can check it out. And let me, let me, I don't know if you know the answer to this, but so the primary way that they fundraise is through these events, yep. right? And, and do they, they raise funds in other ways, like selling gear or things like that, or is it mostly yep. the events? So, so Tap Cancer Out sells branded gear, and, and a lot of those proceeds go to uh, the charity. Um, and then, yeah, the, the main money that, that I think is really being brought in is from the individual competitors or the team goals that they set up. So you can you can fundraise on a team level and then you can also fundraise as an individual um i know my first event it was it was awesome the the people that i have in my social media community i mean you guys are great at my first event i raised over two thousand and then uh you know the second event that i did back in 2016 um i raised just north of i think fourteen hundred dollars so you know just shy of four thousand as an individual at two events so um, and, and, you know, I'm just a small guy on the totem pole or a low, lower guy on the totem pole. I've seen people raise north of, you know, $5,000 as an individual. And, you know, that's just it's tremendous to see what kind of traction and momentum you can get when when you're sharing something that's positive and that's going to help the community. Yeah. And a couple of friends of the show. I know that Junie Ocasio, one of our sponsored yeah. athletes, has competed. And yeah, it was two weeks ago. Two yeah, weeks he, ago. He, he finished out with gold. Yes, he did. Congrats, Junie. Yeah, no no doubt. It's always good to get some get some good stuff done for a good cause. And uh, George Law of the Great Northeast BJJ Podcast, I know, has competed at a number of their events, too. And all those guys have nothing but good things to say. And so what's cool about this Grappling for Good tour, it sounds like, is they're going to cities that they haven't been to before. Yep. And Yep. And, uh, so do we know, other than Raleigh, what, are the, what some of the other cities are? Or are they, they still figuring that out? I'll be honest with you. I don't know of any of the other cities, um, but definitely something. If you go to tapcancerout.org, you can probably um, find some of that additional information there. My my uh, my efforts are going into trying to draw as many people from, from the greater Triangle area to the Dorton Arena on September 8th. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're a school owner or, you know, if, you, if you're big in the jiu-jitsu community here, you know, I implore you and ask you to help me in, in getting the word out and trying to raise as much awareness. And, uh, you know, I'm going to I'm going to be talking about it at the academy and any, any of the open mats that I go to leading up to it. But, yeah, any any help in getting the word out. And thank you, Jeff, for having me here today to talk about it. But um, I want to make this a big one. And I want North Carolina and the Raleigh area to be a, a, a drawing area for you know, events in the future so we can hopefully set some records here and, you know, push 700 competitors. Yeah, I mean, we have a proud history in the triangle of using uh, our jiu-jitsu community to raise money for good causes. And, uh, you know, the Pendergrass brothers have their, their the George Pendergrass yep. Foundation for Leukemia Research. Yep. And so so I'm sure people will turn out and support the event on September 8th. We'll definitely continue to get the word out. And, you know, Bellingham, Washington's nice if they're looking for another yeah. spot, uh, spot uh, on, on the tour. Yeah, John, keep that in mind. Bellingham. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I would, and in all seriousness, it sounds like I, I would be absolutely thrilled to help set something like that up. So do get at me if you want. Uh, Before I forget, I brought you a little gift here, man. Just a tap cancer out patch. Oh, this is rad. Yeah, John's been kind enough to send me a lot of stuff in the past. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm lazy and I don't get my patches on my gi quick enough. So, um, you know, just a short thank you for for taking me out here and uh, giving me the time to speak. I appreciate it, man. I'm going to throw this on the old competition Toro gi. It's a really cool patch. I'll post post photos to our Instagram and Facebook page of this, along with the link of where you can get yours. Hey, Jeff Shaw. Hey, Betsy O'Donovan. 
So you know how we talk a lot about the difference between self-defense and competition? We do. I was thinking the other day about how submission-only tournaments are kind of the perfect marriage of those two things, right? You're getting to practice competitive skills, but you have to be able to do what you do in a self-defense situation, which is end the encounter. And I know you have an amazing story about <laughs> what happens when sport grappling is not paired with those uh, finishing skills. Most definitely. You have to be able to survive the encounter and be able to end it. And we had a guy at our academy who had learned Barambolo way too early, so he could take your back at a pretty advanced level, but didn't really know any submissions. And he goes into a submission-only tournament at U.S. Grappling, ends up Baramboloing the other guy who was a wrestler who also was pretty new and also didn't know any submissions. And so this dude Barambolos this guy over and over. So they're rolling around the mat. Barambolo, Barambolo takes his back, can't finish, other guy escapes. Barambolo, take the back, can't finish, other guy escapes. After about 45 minutes of this, our guy ends up having to tap because the other guy shoves his sweaty gi in his mouth, and a sweaty gi in your mouth will make you tap after 45 minutes sometimes. <laughs> I'm totally imagining this like a cartoon fight of a cat and dog where there's just a spinning cloud of dust. <laughs> it's like that, but with more sweat and pajamas. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think if you are ready to do a submission-only tournament sometime, first, make sure you know how to end your match. And second, sign up for the next U.S. Grappling League. Which is June 30th in Columbia, South Carolina, if you want to do submission only, or you have opportunities to compete April 28th in Richmond, Virginia, and May 5th in Greensboro, North Carolina, for points tournaments. Our favorite tournament organization is U.S. Grappling. Be sure to support those that support us, and thanks for listening. So you've mentioned you've done, th you've competed at three tap cancer. I've events? done two tap cancer out events, yeah, and then uh, you know I've done whatever I can whenever um, mm -hmm. you know I see an opportunity to try to promote it and 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 you know bring some people with me. The last time we went up in 2016 in October and brought a couple friends from down here to go compete up there. We made a little road trip out of it up to Philly, um, but yeah, man, it's I just I can't stress enough the fact that you know. A lot of times you think charity event, you think it, it's amateur and it can be disorganized, but this is far from it. It's it's a great event. It's run smoothly, and uh, they really take a lot of pride in it. And I think the fact that you can fundraise and get free entry and you know additional fundraising goals go to a greater good, it's a, it's a, a really good event. Yeah, and you know I think that makes a huge difference, right? Because like you can get people, you know, people I think are, are good at heart, especially in the jiu-jitsu community, want to make a positive impact. But it's a lot easier to continue to make a positive impact if people have a good experience at that first yeah. event. And so it's very important that people, you know, that do have a good grappling experience. Because, you know, we love raising money for charity, but we also love to beat each other up in pajamas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nobody likes to sit around for hours waiting to beat people up for pajamas. So Indeed. <laughs> Timeliness is everything during an event. True. Well, we'll remind you about all the tap cancer out stuff toward the end of the show uh, and maybe circle back with some stories on that. But speaking of getting beaten up in pajamas, I want to, I want to, like, I mentioned some of Wes's competition victories earlier against Kyle Trujillo, who's an excellent competitor, a Lucas Lepre yeah, purple. Beast. Yeah, total beast. One of my favorite Toro Cup matches, real back and forth match that Wes went, ends up winning. Yeah, I was but, terrified. Yeah, you, know, you had good reason to be. Good, good two or three weeks leading up to it. I was like, what did I do? Yeah, <laughs> yeah you know, this is, I, and you know, honestly, I mean, I want to talk to you about your competition mentality uh, generally because, like, I've talked to a lot of high level competitors on the show. It's funny how the best guys, I was just talking to CJ Murdoch about this yesterday, still get real nervous. Yeah. And it's sort of this, like, 
I love jujitsu. I love jujitsu. I signed up for this tournament. What did I do? What did I do? Oh God, what did I do? Okay, that was awesome. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and that's sort of my curve of experience yeah. with it. So, I'm probably gonna get a lot of flack for saying it this way, but <laughs> mm-hmm. um, my approach I've found through trial and error is a little bit of a, a reverse mentality. Um, a lot of times, you think as a competitor, I need to, you know, never say quit, never say die, and 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 Put it all out there, which, yeah, you do. But it's the, for me, when I go into it with the mentality that I need to win and that the guy I'm looking at across the mat from me is less than me and I'm going to go out and implore or, you know, employ my my game plan or I'm just going to go out there and smash him, oftentimes it doesn't work out that way. I think I, I get too into the mentality or too into my brain and I start to – get anxious or I overwhelm myself with with my thoughts of having to win and I, I've found that when I go out there like case in point our, our last tournament together um, you know last U.S. grappling uh, in Raleigh I wanted to go out and have fun mm-hmm. and that was my biggest goal was that this is no pressure you know I'm gonna go out here I, I know these people or you know I know a good amount of these people everyone's here to have fun everyone's here to test themselves but we're all here to have fun and when I go into it with the mentality that let's just go out there and, and let's let's pajama wrestle and have some fun um, oftentimes I surprise myself and like I said the, the other approach when I go out there with the uh, the goal to win I often don't and I beat myself up about it so You and I were talking about this a little bit off air, too, but I'm starting to learn or accept my place in in the academy and and on my team as as being somebody there to help guide and help people achieve their goals, but to have fun, to, to progress as an individual, to advance on my own personal journey. But I'm not here to take any world titles, to, you know, stand on the number one spot on every podium. I'm just here to to grow and and enjoy the process. So I think if I if I cloud that with having to win and, and putting unrealistic goals on myself, I'm not going to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. So that that's my mentality. I like competing. I I'm definitely a competitor and I, I like to win, but I also like to have fun. And I think that's where my uh, my concentration is kind of turned. This is super interesting to me because this is very similar to the way I approach it. And what I identify with what you say about like if you go out there and you're like and you have that sort of rigid dominate, dominate, dominate mentality, then you don't optimize your performance. Yeah. Whereas if you're like, hey, this is what I do for fun. And that's last time I competed at the Worlds, I was super nervous yeah. up, up until I got into the bullpen. And I looked out at all these lights and I looked out at all these people and I looked out at the 12 mats and I was like, this is what I do for fun. There's yep. n- no place in the world I'd rather be than like doing jujitsu yep. with all these people. And, and I feel like I performed better than I would if I'd have yep. put a ton of pressure on myself. And like, honestly, you know, during, during your, the match that you and I had, you know, I took an ass whooping, but it's still one of the most enjoyable <laughs> matches that I've had. And like, yeah. and I, I loved it because. You know, uh, you know, it was such a fast-paced match where yeah. we were able to, and and you know, you have to also. You mentioned, uh, I think every jujitsu person has to like r- calibrate their position in the universe, particularly as they get older. And yeah. where there's a time to be Evan Arredondo, who's young and kicking everybody's <laughs> ass, and there's a time like, okay, well now, you know, I have a job, I have a wife, I have kids, um, which doesn't mean you don't like to compete or that you don't want to win. Yeah, but it's like you know, you calibrate your expectations accordingly. And from my perspective, you know, like I. Uh, some of the matches that it's weird because two of my favorite matches of all time are matches that I lost against Gracie Raleigh guys, <laughs> one against you and one one against Luder. Oh wow! Where it was like when we were either really high purple blue belts or had just gotten our purple belts, and it was like one of those things where 
I just want to be the best I can be, yeah. right? And if I'm out there and I do the best I can and I lose, I'm good with that, man. Mm-hmm. If I do good stuff and it's not because I messed up but because he did good, I mean, I, you know, I don't like to, I, I'm a competitor too and I love to win. Mm-hmm. But it's like, how am I going to get mad for trying for at a guy for trying to do exactly what I was trying to do and doing it slightly better than me? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and so, yeah. All right, just to talk on that real quick because – I've I've been wanting to approach this because I didn't know how to address it, um, but during our match, there was a there was a moment that could be conceived as me being maybe a little bit uh, full of myself or <laughs> just a little bit. It was it was in bad taste, and um, it was there was a moment where I kind of smiled and was waving to the crowd, and and then afterwards looking at it, I was like, oh man, I look terrible. And it was because I looked up and my daughter, my two and a half year old daughter was standing right in front of me, about five feet in front of me, and she was crying her eyes out. And I didn't know why. And obviously in the heat of trying to trying to survive against you, I looked up and saw her crying and I was just trying to let her know, hey, we're having fun. I smiled and waved to her. I did a couple times and then it worked for her. But then I saw the video afterwards and I was like, oh, I I look like an ass. (laughs) So... (laughs) I just I just want to let you know, man, that uh, you know I feel bad that if it came off in poor taste, um, but yeah, part of part of being the uh, weekend warrior and bringing your family and your and your kids to, to the to, uh, the tournaments, you know that that's I guess par for the course. But I just wanted her to know that this is what Daddy does for fun. <laughs> totally, no, I think you did the right thing, and like and like don't give it a second thought. I, I appreciate you saying that, but like a couple of people came up to me afterwards, like who was that guy? I was like, what, Wes? He's awesome. Yeah, and they're like, he was waving, and and, and I I for the record, I am immediately understood what you were doing. Okay, cool. Cause, cause yeah, I, I didn't want to be uh, perceived in the way that I started to perceive it. No, right. Well, because it's like, it's everything is context, right? Yeah. Like, if you view that out of context and you don't know the two of us and you don't know, like, yeah. our history, then you're like, oh, man, is that guy showboating? Yeah, yeah. Or, like, in the video, I don't think you can see your daughter. No, you can't. That, that was a problem. It's like, it just looks like I'm waving at a crowd, smiling. Like, yeah. Like, who's this guy? And, you know, hey, it's it's okay to have fun out there, too. And, like, and like, like I said, I mean, I was having a blast. You know, I was, I was uh, you know... I was getting smashed, but I was having a blast getting smashed, and yeah. uh, and so, so yeah, and like and the other the third guy in our division, Brett Bieber, who uh, also competed at Toro Cup yesterday, yeah, yeah, another really good brown. But I think he's another one of those dudes that has a really good attitude yeah. about competition and its role in his life. Like for me, I think one of the coolest things that Cobr- the Cobrinia said, yeah, when, yeah. when we trained with him, is I don't compete to prove, I compete to improve. Yeah, yeah, and it's like you know going up against you, somebody who does things very differently than I do or that a lot of the guys in my gym do is super valuable for me. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, just yeah, that was kind of case in point there with it's Brett Bieber, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd never heard of him before. I didn't know who he was. And it turns out he's a really cool guy. But you and I were talking on, on the corner in the bullpen, so to speak, right, right before our match. And we were assessing the landscape of our division. And we're looking over there, and I'm like, ah, that guy's in my division. <laughs> you know, like, here we go, small guy in my division again, you know? So that that's kind of speak to my mentality again as far as competing. Um, you and I were just joking there right before our match, and it was really positive, though. And, and I kept saying, you know, I'm going to have a fun match with Jeff, and then whatever happens from there, because this guy's larger. I knew Gary Gioni. He's a savage competitor. So, you know, I knew it was going to be a, a rough showing in our division. So I just wanted to go out and have fun. And, you know, I, su- I s- really surprised myself with the win against uh, Brett. And uh, it was a real Hail Mary knee bar that I threw out. But um, that's that's just the point there. I think if I went in there with the mentality that I wanted to beat this guy, he would have smashed me. But we went out. I was just going out to have fun. And rather than, 
you know, panic when plan A goes out the window. You're able to see plan B because you're just enjoying the experience rather than focusing on the fact, oh, I'm down now. I got to win. Yeah, you know, my only regrets about that division is that I didn't get matches with Gary and Brett because I would have loved to. And, like, you were, you and I alluded to this off the air, too. The thing about, I think there were four guys in that division. Yeah. And, like, the thing at Brown Belt, when you get to Brown Belt, like adult Brown Belt, yeah. there aren't soft spots, right? And yeah, you, yeah. And, 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 but tough guys are tough in different ways, and they're good at different things. And so part of the reason that I, I like being a smaller, older guy in that division is, like, I don't feel pressure. I'm just like, I'm going to learn something because Wes does these knee bars differently than these other people do. Brett has the Brett, Brett's beaten me in competition before at Purple Belt. You know, I know some of the things that he does well. Yeah. Haven't got a chance to roll with Gary, but it's like, it's cool to to be in a division with a bunch of other guys that also take this seriously, that have put in the time to get to Brown Belt. Because yep. if you get a Brown Belt and you're in a, you know, in the adult Brown Belt division, you've put in some time in jiu-jitsu, yep. right? And so, so that's something that I, that I, that I really, really enjoy, uh, and yeah, so so that was a super fun a super fun experience for me. For, oh, and actually, I had, I I I've, I almost lost lost my train of thought there, but I don't think I've told you this story, which is right before because you and I are laughing and joking before our matches, and I kind of had a hunch I knew how the match was going to go, but I see, <laughs> but I see Brandon Garner walking up to coach you. Also, I just want to say this is not why I lost, but while while Wes was smashing me, I look <laughs> over and. Brandon Garner is coaching him, and Andrew Bittner is coaching him, and Bumpkin is coaching him, and I'm like, isn't anybody rooting for the old guy? Come on. <laughs> you had Sam in your corner. Yeah, that's right. Sam <laughs> yeah. jumped in at Sam. Shout out to Sam. <laughs> yeah, totally. Thank you, Sam Fallhaber, for jumping in <laughs> at the last minute. Sorry I couldn't do a better performance. But right before I step on the mat, so like I said, I had a hunch I had a hunch I knew how it was going to go. So I, I see Brandon Garner, and I'm like, Brandon, you got to coach Wes into doing all the wrong things for me. Can you do that for me? He's like, And Brandon looks at me in deadpan, and he's like, he'll do that anyway. <laughs> And I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah, Brandon knows my game pretty well. <laughs> Why did you do that? I don't know, coach. <laughs> well, don't do that again. Okay, coach. <laughs> I love that. I love yeah. that. It's this is actually funny. So like I want to congratulate my you weren't at Toro Cup, unfortunately, but like I had to take a moment. Like, so I want to congratulate my teammate Tung Vu, who won his match against David Hudson, really tough purple belt. Yeah, yeah. And this is funny because it's sort of like my Brandon Garner story is Seth Champ. And Seth and I have a really good coach student relationship. I'm I'm very much a listener. I'm very much a I take feedback. Most people at my gym are. Mm -hmm. And so Tongue ends up beating Tongue and Tongue is talented enough and athletic enough and gifted enough that he can get away with stuff that you probably shouldn't get away yeah. with. Yeah. So Tongue chokes him from inside the guy's guard. Oh wow. He, yeah, he did the, the, the closed guard Ezekiel. And uh and I went up to Seth after I'm like, hey man, you know, our team went 3-0. Awesome. Isn't this great? And he's like, I'm gonna have some words with Tongue. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you're going to get mad at him because he won wrong? And Seth's like, yes. <laughs> yes, I am. Yeah, you got to fix the bad habits. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure, for sure. Yeah, so um, so in terms of, so another thing that you do, like people know that you're super, you, you know, you're super athletic and explosive. What a oh, lot thanks, of people, man. oh yeah, no, it's, and, and that's part of why it's fun to roll with you is that, you know, your transitions are so good and a lot of that is jujitsu technique, but some of it is also your athleticism. And I just saw, I knew that you did Spartan races, which I know, I don't know a lot of our listeners so know. I, 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 Actually, don't. That was, was that your first one? Yeah. Well, I did a Tough Mudder back in like 2011, maybe. But now uh, this this was a this was a thing that my my neighbors had set like a fitness goal to to do a Spartan sprint, and they asked me if I wanted to do it with them. So um, I signed up with them back in January, and uh, we were just trying to keep each other accountable to make it through it. So yeah, that was a. Uh, it was an interesting experience. So let me get, so here, it's funny, but it's funny that you would say that given where I was going with, because, so this isn't even something you do. You sign up to help, you know, get a part of this fitness goal and you finish in the top 3% in the nation. Am I right <laughs> about that? It's like your time was for top that 3 event. For yeah, that. yeah, yeah. For that's okay. <laughs> oh, I appreciate you bringing it up. Man. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, so. So, yeah, that was cool. I, I definitely surprised myself. Um, yeah, so really, I guess to kind of scale it back, um, I'm I'm training for a marathon in June. So I uh, I started running. Uh, so shout out to Bryce Mahoney, uh, Bryce, uh, big big. Another big guy in our, our community here yeah. for jiu-jitsu, but even even more so for uh, for veterans awareness and and all things related. Um, you know, Bryce does a lot of good for the veterans community and with the Darby Project, and he also um, does Run Ranger Run. And it was something that I've heard him mention in the past. I, I didn't know anything about it, so my wife Krista had brought up that they were doing this Run Ranger Run kickoff event um, right before February this year. So. Um, I was like, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll help uh, uh, Bryce out. You know, what do we have to do? So long story short, met at the park, signed up for Run Ranger Run. It turns out it's it's this event where you sign up on teams, and the goal is to accumulate 565 miles through the month of uh, February with your respective team. Wow. And uh, the money that you raise and the awareness, it, it helps assist with um, issues that deal with veteran suicide. Um, so all good stuff there. So I, I signed up and, you know, Bryce is one of the most motivated people I've ever met. And, you know, I thought I was motivated and then I'd see Bryce, you know, on Facebook live videos at three in the morning out there walking with carrying an American flag. And here I am laying in my cozy bed thinking about skipping out on my run today. And I was like, all right, I guess I got to get out there. Bryce is out there. Um, so basically long story is that I wanted to help bring as many miles to my team as I could for February. So I started running a lot and I've quickly become obsessed and, and I've fallen down these rabbit holes of following all these uh, ultra marathoners and stuff. Um, a lot of people that you know, go on the Joe Rogan podcast, these interesting uh, characters. So fell down that rabbit hole and uh, decided I was going to sign up for a marathon. I figured if I'm running all these miles for Run Ranger Run, might as well do it now and say that's another thing that I can cross off the list. So I signed up for the Boone uh, uh, New River Marathon in June. So that that's my real uh, training baby right now. So the Spartan thing was something that I, I decided to do with my neighbors. I thought it would be cool to do. And turns out that all this marathon training and all this rock climbing I've been doing with Bumpkin, um, it, it, it helped out and it, it translates to Spartan races. Because <laughs> uh, I don't know, man, I just I kicked in the zone and just started moving. And then uh, at the end... The, you know, I looked at my results, and yeah, it turns out that I had a pretty good showing there. <laughs> yeah, most definitely, and I can see how that would be a good setup. So, so you're running this marathon in June, yeah, and I will re always remember that day in June as the day that Wes and I combined to run 26.2 miles because I will not be running. <laughs> it's funny though; you and I were talking off the air. I didn't realize that you had been born in Okinawa, which yeah. I and, and I used to live in Okinawa. The the only time I've ever been a serious runner was when I lived in Okinawa. Oh, yeah, 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 and it's like it's one of these. Because, you know, it, I do all kinds of different physical activities, and yep. running's just never been one that I particularly enjoyed. But when I first moved there, okay, the, the gym culture is not the same, and I couldn't find a gym that I really liked to, mm -hmm. like, lift weights or, like, do yoga, which I also really like. So I was like, oh, well, I'll run. And uh, I occasionally, I know people sometimes think of me as a nerdy, smart person, and in some ways I am. In other mm -hmm. ways, I'm an idiot. And so, for example, <laughs> uh, I still can't con convert kilometers to miles. Yeah. And so one day I went out for a run, and I had no idea, and I was just like, I'll just run until I get tired. Yeah. And in Okinawa, the the air is like it's so almost. What's elevation there? It's it's sea level basically because okay. it's uh, it's an uh, you know and and so it's not like and and it's I don't know what it is about the humidity, but 
but I feel like it gives me energy. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, the, the air is like nutritious almost there. Yeah, and yeah. so I just started running and I was like looking these, at these road signs and they're all in kilometers and I'm like, oh, I'll just see if I can make it to Kadena. <laughs> and I went and, and I only, I ran until I got tired and then I ran home. And then I went back and I was like, I ran 14 miles today. Nice. And I was like, I ran a half marathon by accident. Yep. And I was really sore for the ne- you know for the next several days, but <laughs> uh, but only because the only re- I don't want that to be a I'm a badass story because by God I'm far from a badass. But but a too dumb to convert kilometers to miles and just was like, let's go do this. Hey man, sometimes you just keep the legs moving, you get in the zone, and then yeah, like I said, you surprise yourself sometimes. <laughs> That's important. And so, so you were born in Okinawa, but you don't have any memory of your time there? No. So my, my father and uh, before my father and my mother got divorced, my father was a um, career Marine and uh, stationed out in Okinawa. And I guess that's where I was born. And then um, I think we flew back when I was maybe one years old. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I moved to New Jersey. Yeah. Okay, now in New Jersey, it's a common trajectory. Yeah, very similar place. <laughs> yeah, right. It's funny. Bet- Betsy, Betsy's dad was a career marine, uh, and they were, but they they were all over. They moved twenty three times growing uh-huh. up. My wife Betsy O'Donovan, and uh, but she was at Iwakuni, and so we were at different places in you know in the nation of Japan growing up. But we we really like to go back sometime because like Okinawa was really different from you know it's like the Hawaii of Japan. Yeah, because it's. Uh, Ethnically, culturally, and linguistically distinct. It's further south, so it's yeah. warm. They get nice sandy beaches. I love Okinawa. It's uh, other than Bellingham, it's the place yeah, that yeah. all things being equal, I would live. You have any plans to go back anytime soon? Yeah, we're thinking maybe next year. Oh wow, that's soon. Yeah, okay. it's just because like so. Uh, for those that don't know, like Betsy, my wife used to live in Ireland, and as Wes and I were talking off the air. Um, Leaving for Ireland in about 20 hours because Betsy used to live there. She wants me to show me this place that was like really integral to her life. Yeah. And, uh, but you know, she, you know, her, she has minimal, she was a child when they were in Japan. So she has some memory of it, but not like super much. Mm-hmm. And so we, I would always love to show her like, Hey, this is a really important place for me. And, uh, and so, yeah, we'll probably go in 2019 or 2020 awesome. at least. Yeah. Knock wood. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. I'd love to go out there and check it out. Um, Hey, Jeff Shaw. Yes, Betsy O'Donovan. You want to know the weirdest thing about traveling with you? Do I? You do. And here it is. It's that no matter where we are, you somehow always find a fellow jiu-jitsu practitioner. That's true. It may be my collection of dozens of Toro BJJ t-shirts. Or the ears. Yeah, the ears are also a dead giveaway. (laughs) Um, So my favorite example of this might be when we were in Belize City uh, at the airport on our way back from our honeymoon. Do you remember? Absolutely. We were in the airport and I saw a guy wearing a Gracie University shirt and I came over because I was wearing a Toro BJJ shirt. And five minutes later, you were best friends. So if you want to make friends and influence people all over the world, go to ToroBJJ.com and get one of their three for $25 t-shirt deals or just one singular t-shirt, all of which will introduce you to foreigners wherever you go. Also makes it less awkward when you double it in the airport. I think you'd really like it. And what's funny is there's a jujitsu black belt there now. There's a Team Rock Okinawa. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and it was weird because like when I was there, like I wasn't. I, I did Okinawa style karate there just because that was the martial art that they had, and I wanted to learn about the history and the culture. Is that Ishinryu or no? it's 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 all three. It's like Ishinryu, okay. Gojiru, and um, a third one that that uh, that slips my mind. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, it's like uh, Gichin Funakoshi's from Okinawa. Okay, and so so a lot of the karate styles originated in Okinawa, yeah. which is super. And you know, it, it's one of those things as martial arts nerds are listening to this podcast. Like, is it what Mazihedari actually did go to you mm-hmm. for many many years yeah. at a high level, which is is killer and a cool coincidence. And he went to Okinawa for a while to to study. But like, yeah, is it is it the martial art that you would? 
pick for like self defense reasons. You know, I don't, I don't know. Like, uh, but, but it definitely was like I think martial arts is a lot like a language. Yeah, it teaches you a lot about the culture that it grew up in and the words that they use and yep. the processes they use. It's like, oh man, okay, the history of this nation was such that their martial art evolved in this way. Yeah, like their language is such that it evolved to create these words to describe this experience and. So that's always been one of the fun things about martial arts for me. I think that you would really like Okinawa, and I, I wish that I wish they had jujitsu when I when I was there. Yeah, but it's cool that they have a, a thriving scene right there. I think they have two schools run by black belts. Yeah, but, uh, but yeah, so I definitely want to go back and visit and train. That's awesome. Yeah. So let's uh, let's get back to Gracie Raleigh for a second. Sure. Like, so you know, you mentioned that your role in the gym is evolving, and that like you still compete, really, really, you know, still really good competitors, still really, Thanks, re- really enjoy it. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, and uh, but like also, you see yourself as like playing this role on the team of like, I'm helping to lift my teammates up and I'm yeah. helping my teammates to achieve their goals. And so I'm wondering like, what do you do? Like, do you, do you set goals to like help make that happen? Do you have aspirations to teach someday or, or is that something that's in your mind? Yeah. Um, so we've actually, we're, we're entertaining right now. You know, I've, I've brought it up to Brandon in the past and uh, I know Bittner and uh, Myself and Hipster have all talked about trying to find a day during the week where we could try to start uh, like a 6 a.m. class for uh, for us early risers that want to get it knocked out early. Um, so, you know, there's talks of us hosting like a morning class. And we'll, we'll see about that. But like long term, yeah, I, I think I would definitely want to to teach um, once I could figure out what my schedule would be and all that type of stuff logistically. But um, I think that's the ultimate goal, you know. Um, I, I I value what I get out of teaching uh, heavily, you know, not not just in jujitsu, but you know, I used to be a personal trainer by trade, and it was more so than you know teaching people how to do exercises. It was like helping coach people back to positivity, you know what I mean? And uh, I think a lot of that. I mean, jujitsu saved my life, and I, I think I'm not the only one that could say that. So. I think when you teach somebody not only the value of the techniques, but what what you've gained out of it and your personal experience with it in your journey, um, and you translate that to somebody else, and you help get them out of a funk or you, you help get their life back on track, I mean, there's no greater uh, reward in, in, in my mind. So um, it sounds super rewarding, both the personal training and that's yeah. how I've always thought about personal training is yeah. coach coach relationship to help build to a shared goal. Yeah, yeah, and with with jujitsu, I mean, it's just. It, it would be cool to to definitely teach in the future, and who knows, you know, run my own school ten, fifteen years down the road. But uh, I'm also a huge believer in uh, the six a.m. class, and you know, not yeah. every, And I think I think I think among the audience is probably a very polarized range. There are people out there that are nodding, and like, yeah, I love to get yeah, up yeah. and get it knocked out. And then there are people that are like, you're out of your mind. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I, uh, I'll tell you, you, you know, I used to teach the six a.m. classes at yep. Triangle. Yep. And it was so something very much like you describe, where you know I'm like I'm an early riser. I want to get it knocked out before I go to work. I went to to Seth, my instructor, and I was like, Hey, would you mind if yeah. I did this? And he was like, Yeah, I'm never showing up. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, And you got to make sure people are paying dues because I'm never going to show up and check. And I'm like, yeah. All right, that's fine. Because uh, you know it's not for everybody. We all have different yeah. different life schedules, but especially for those of us that have day jobs, and just for those of us that you know find ourselves awake at five in the morning, you're just like, Man, let's go, let's go get a sweat on, let's go yeah. learn some stuff, and. And I identify with what you said about like the rewards of teaching too. Yeah. It's cool that you get something out of that as well. It sounds yeah. like yeah, yeah, I do. And just just to speak about, I guess, about my place on the team and, and kind of how I, I've seen that transition. You know, I um, 
like I said, I've, I've identified that I don't have personal goals to, to win the worlds or anything like that. And I, I, you know, commend everyone that, that grinds after it and, you know, bagels and Junie and all these guys that are really, you know, putting it out there um, the Murdoch brothers, all of them. But, um, you know, I think my role to help get those guys ready on our team and, and, and be there, you know, it's kind of a, a, a double-edged sword. I want to be there to help get the, the white belts onto the path of jiu-jitsu and to, to keep coming back, so not to smash them and, and show them that it's it's a lengthy process and, you know, really try to coach them. But I think most people would tell you that when I roll, when we do live rolling, I, I'm and it's probably a, a, a detriment to my game at this point, but I don't know how to roll slow necessarily. <laughs> I've, I've struggled with that since, since Wipeout, and uh, a lot of times it's gotten me into trouble. But... Um, I think some of the competitors value that, though, and they appreciate that because even though I'm not going to be out there with you competing at the Worlds, when, when I'm training with you, I want to give you the most realistic look that you're going to get when you're out there. I don't want you to think that you're going to have any easy roles. So I try to be 100% or 110% with every every role I do after class. And, you know, some people appreciate it and some don't, but it's me. It's how I train. Um, so, you know, I, I don't think you should reserve much of anything unless the goal there is just to drill, then, you know, obviously slow it down. But if, if we're, if we're rolling live and I know you're competing soon, you know, I'm, I'm going to put it all out there for you. And I think, I think that that's the way it should be. I completely agree. I think one of the things that scares me most about jujitsu going forward is that, cause I think drilling super important and yeah. I think technique is mega important. Drillers are killers, right? Uh, for real. <laughs> <laughs> it's a slogan and a hashtag for a reason. But like, but in all, you know, one of the things that, that I worry about with jujitsu, and I guess I have two or three thoughts I want to get out here that uh, that um, I, I see a lot of like, I see some schools that that kind of eliminate the live rolling aspect or, yeah. or diminish it, and like for me, that's a lot of what gives jujitsu and the grappling arts their power, right? Because yeah. you can actualize your technique, your application, right in in front, and like, and because if you can do it against West going 100%, then you know that's going to simulate what you experience at the Worlds, where it's like, hey, yep. there's this dude who's actually trying to kill me, and I think that's super valuable. I think it's valuable for everybody, um, you know, whether you compete or not. I think everybody should experience that as a part of their training. Yeah. And uh, so, so so that's just some, that's something that I wanted to get out there. I think that's mega important. Yeah, the first time you feel your, your forearms burn up and your lungs burn out, you don't want it to be when you're on the mats at the Worlds, you know what I mean? Exactly. You want it to be in your academy where you can easily just sit along the sidelines, regroup, and get back out there. But you, you got And so when your grips do burn out in a competition match, you can be like, I've been here before. Yep. I know how to adapt to this. This is not the end of the world. This has happened. Yep. And, and, I mean, mentally, that's just such an important thing because, I mean, Think about the first time you rolled hard, yep. right? I mean, I don't know if you can even remember that far back, but like the first competition match, or the first time you roll hard and you feel that adrenaline dump, I mean, no one performs optimally their first time. I don't know. And it's because like now, you know, if you've been there before and you've been like, I've had really hard training partners like Wes and Evan and Bittner and Kim Rice or whoever it is, like <laughs> putting it on me. Yeah. All right, I get out in competition and I'm like, even when I'm getting my butt kicked, it's like, okay, I've been here before. I know how to regroup. Yep. I know how to, to, and I think we should never, ever lose that as a part of this martial art. Yep. The other thing that you said that I identify with that I want to lift up is like sort of, because I feel myself as sort of that supplementary role preparing our competitors. And so I think it's really cool. I actually really enjoy like sort of simulating other training partners. Yeah. Like not a lot of people in North Carolina do Barambolo. And mm -hmm. so I enjoy getting out and helping not just people at my academy, but my friends who are like, hey, do you want to come out and play De La Hiva, play yeah, Barambolo yeah. against me? And 
or um, like Andrei Alexandrov, who uh, competed at Toro Cup, and congrats to Andre for winning his match. For the last six weeks, I've been trying to leg lock that guy. Yeah. Because we knew that Jeff Luck, who trains at you know with uh, in Nightdale. Yeah, yeah. And I, I'd competed against him at the last year's grappling, yep. and I was like, he tried to footlock me a bunch. I want to make sure Andre's footlock defense is on point. And so you do things that you Wes or you Jeff would not. It's not your A game stuff. Yeah, but it's yeah. like, okay, I know that you're going to face this, so I want to simulate a dude trying to do this to you constantly, so that you're ready for it when that competition experience yep. happens. Yeah, that's good stuff. Yeah, man, I, it's it's so exciting, you know. Like, and this is the the, the other beauty of jujitsu, right? Like, I'm sure you're still learning, yeah. right? And it's like with me with footlocks and stuff. I mean, and and I'm sure everybody has an example, right? It's like yeah. there's this whole aspect of jujitsu that you have an absence of and then you study it and it's like you're a white belt again learning at an exponential rate you know it's, it's funny i'll probably get some slack for this one too but um yeah no everyone knows gordon ryan was just here a couple weeks ago doing a seminar right and everyone's asking me are you doing a seminar are you doing a seminar no i'm not doing the seminar and, and be honest with you man i out of the 11 years i've been training i've never done a seminar with oh, wow. any any jiu-jitsu uh, uh name of any sort and when people ask me why, yeah, number one, it's because I'm cheap. But <laughs> but the real reason, though, the, thrifty, the, the true, yeah, right, thrifty. Yeah, the true reason as to why I don't do seminars and to speak about how I'm I'm constantly learning. Um, when they ask me why, it's because I spend you know two three days a week if I'm lucky, you know, learning from Brandon or learning from David when I was up north, you know, an hour and a half for a class, right? And then I walk out and I go home and I wake up the next morning and I realize I probably only retained like a good 5% of what I learned last night, which probably speaks to the fact that I should probably take notes and, you know, maybe <laughs> go back and study what I learned and maybe I progress a little quicker. But um, I don't do that and I don't retain everything that I'm learning on, on a class level. So for me, I just feel that if I was to do a seminar, that'd be another three hours of material that I spent some money on that I couldn't remember. So to get back to the point is that, yeah, I'm constantly learning and relearning what I don't know. And, uh, you know, I think the real bigger picture is that if you're not competing, you should probably throw your hat in there and, and get on the mats and compete because you don't know what you don't know until you realize that you don't know it on the, the competition mat. So um, a lot of people think, oh, I'm not in good enough shape or, you know, I'm not ready to do that or I just don't think I want to. But I think any and everyone can learn something from getting on the mats and, and putting it all out there. And if you're really trying to advance your jujitsu journey and, and really learn some stuff, you, you, there's a quicker way to identify the holes in your game where you stand, uh, you know, where you're a level up on people. And, and really get a, a good, good, concrete look at what your game is like. I couldn't agree more with all of that. And Hoyler, you know, David Adiv's yeah. instructor, has always said everybody should compete at least once. And, mm -hmm. I, and I believe that. Like, your goal doesn't have to be, I'm going to be the best competitor. Yeah. But, like, in the same way that you should learn all the aspects of jiu-jitsu, you should compete at least once just so you see what it's like, see what it's really like for somebody that's not your friend that you're not going to go have a beer with later trying to take your head off. Yeah. And, and it, I mean, it's one of the best things, like, I, you know, I it's one of the best things that has helped me, I think, improve. Yeah. By the way, on a side note, I'm about 75% serious about making thrifty patches. So if anybody, you know, it's one of the warrior virtues. So Alex Cummings, that's for you. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so um, in the few minutes, so we have about five minutes left. Wow, and that was quick. <laughs> yeah, no, I told you, this, these hours go by fast. Yeah, yeah. It's like you get a couple of jujitsu guys together and we can talk about jujitsu, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. But like, is there anything I haven't asked about that you really wish I would have asked about or anything else you want the listeners to know? Um, 
No, I think I talked about me enough here, and, and uh, you know, just to circle back, you know, tap cancer out coming to uh, Raleigh, North Carolina, Dorton Arena, September eighth. Uh, registration opens in July. Go to tapcanceroutorg um, if you you want to learn more about it, or if you have any questions that you know you think I can answer off air. You know, reach out to me on social media. Um, but other than that, man, um, now I just want to thank you. For real, um, I don't know if you realize what a big place and what a big role you play in in the Greater Triangle uh, Jiu-Jitsu community and, and what you've done for this community. Um, so, real real big kudos to you, and you're gonna be you're gonna be missed dearly. So, we look forward to when you come back to the area. Um, you know, I, I couldn't be more thankful and more appreciative of, of the time you, you gave me here today, and you know how welcoming you've been and and everybody in in the Triangle community. You know, like I said, I, I came here four years ago. I had a completely different thought of what I was walking into. And, you know, I've been pleasantly surprised by the people that I've met here, the the, the individuals that I've interacted with, and the, the quality of the schools around here. And now everyone seems to be on, on the common goal of enjoying the community and uplifting everyone and getting better as a whole. So I think you're you're a huge part of that. And, uh, yeah, thanks to you, Jeff. Well, that's really nice of you to say. Thanks for all your kind words. I appreciate that. Um, so we will share in the comments of the show, uh, we're going to share a link to the Tap Cancer Out page. So you can check that out. When registration opens, it sounds like in July, mm-hmm. uh, we're going to share a link to that as well. Mark the date on your calendar right now, folks. September 8th, they're going to come to Raleigh. Uh, you can raise you can raise some money for a great cause, have mm-hmm. some fun at an event, doing jiu-jitsu with your friends. And really, if you can do some good while doing jiu-jitsu at the same time, I mean, what's better than that? Win-win. <laughs> yeah, for real. My guest has been Wes Claytor, brown belt from Gracie Raleigh, a really active competitor and somebody who thinks deeply about jiu-jitsu and his role, its role in his life and the role of other people's lives. Wes, I've really had a great time, so thanks Appreciate a lot for coming that, into Jeff. the studio. Thank yeah. you. So, folks, this has been another episode of Dirty White Belt Radio. Thank you so much for listening. Um, I've mentioned this before, but during the transition, we're probably going to go down to about one show every two weeks instead of one show every weekly, uh, every week. Um, I do have some great shows in the can that I'm excited to share with you while me and Betsy O'Donovan get in a Toyota Prius and drive across the country. We have some upcoming shows with Hannette Stack, uh, who is one of the three best uh, women jiu-jitsu competitors of all time and one of the most positive and... um, one of the best influences of jiu-jitsu generally that it has been my pleasure to meet and interview, and so I'm excited to share that with you. Also, I have a show with Jose Tufi Kairus, who is a historian of jiu-jitsu, who is also going to appear in Robert Drysdale's upcoming movie, Closed Guard, which is a documentary about early jiu-jitsu origins. Uh, as a history geek and someone that uh, clearly loves talking about jiu-jitsu, I'm excited to bring those shows to you as well. If you want to, I want to thank everybody who's supported the show in any way. Uh, first of all, everybody who came out to Toro Cup, thanks so much for helping us raise money for Hubao Karaoke. Thanks for helping support local jiu-jitsu. Thanks to everybody who is a Patreon supporter. If you want to join them, you can go to patreon.com slash dirtywhitebelt and for as little as a dollar a month, help us produce our fun little show. Uh, This is Dirty White Boat Radio. The co-hosts are Betsy O'Donovan and Lourdes Cantu, and we're going to have some interviews from Toro Cup that Lourdes did coming up in upcoming shows, so please check that out. I can't wait to bring those to you as well. My name is Jeff Shaw. It's always great to talk to you all, and we will see you all next Sunday. (laughs) 